Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on VHHA.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're also on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 AM across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. That's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. I'm Will Selden with the VHHA team, and today we're pleased to be joined by UVA Health neurosurgeon, Dr. Elisa Kusha, for a conversation about her work, how personal experience as a youth helped shape her career path, and more. With that, welcome to the program, Dr. Kusha. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, great. Thanks so much for having me. It's well known that formative experiences can be so impactful in shaping the trajectory of our lives. I think that's the case for most folks. And so getting to know people, for me, it's fascinating to hear those personal stories that influence people's paths and how they get to where they are now. And, and so from what I've read about you, the approach your parents modeled for you while you were growing up, as well as your own experiences through injury as a competitive runner in high school and things like that, ultimately helped steer you toward your career in medicine. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your experience? Sure. Yeah. You know, I think um, when I think back through my life and kind of what got me to where I am today and, and helped lead me down the path to, to neurosurgery, I don't think there's, you know, sometimes people say, oh, I had this one role model in life or this one person or thing that, that got me there. And for me, I think it was just a lot of little things that added up over time to take me to the place that I ended up. And, um, you know, my, my parents, as you mentioned, I think were always really, really good role models for me, um, really encouraging me to work really, really hard and try my hardest, my best at everything I did. And my, you know, I think in my life, if there were two options, whether it be in sport or in school, where there was kind of an easier option or a harder option, and I would go home and talk to my parents about it, my, my dad would always say, oh, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you try the harder option? You know, you can do it. I, I believe in you and, and, and that kind of thing. And so I think it um, really encouraged me throughout life to believe in myself and, and think that I could take on a hard task and accomplish it. And, you know, they were always there for me to support me through those things, through challenges and whatnot. Um, as you mentioned, I was a competitive runner in, in high school and college. And, um, and I did have many setbacks along the way where I had, you know, stress fractures and, other injuries. And, um, and so it was really kind of learning to, to battle through those injuries. And, um, and that's where I had my, my first little introduction, I think, even into the medical world, because you would have an injury and have to go to the athletic trainer or even see a, you know, orthopedic surgeon or, or something like that. I had bone scans and x-rays and ultrasounds done throughout the years to try and, you know, sort out different injuries that I had. And, I always thought it was really neat and cool to even look at x-rays or, or ultrasounds to to see inside the body and, and see how these people could, you know, help me through various injuries and figure out what was wrong with me or what was causing me to have pain. And so I think that both of those things really um, helped to guide me, both, you know, this um, encouragement for my parents to work hard and, and strive to do difficult tasks, and then also kind of seeing how uh, healthcare providers could really, you know, use their skills to to help me accomplish good things in sport as well. And so um, I think, you know, all of those things kind of drove me to to want to try to take on something hard and, and challenging throughout life. I apologize in advance for using this phrase, as I'm sure you hear it a lot as a neurosurgeon, but um, 
the whole cliche of it's not brain surgery. So <laughs> as a as a neurosurgeon, a lot of folks, you know, see that as sort of rarefied air as professional sophistication and that sort of thing. So can you describe um, just your general experience as a neurosurgeon, what kind of patients you see, the kind of conditions they have, and then the types of procedures that you perform as a neurosurgeon? Right. So neurosurgery, I think, um, has kind of multiple different aspects to it. And and obviously, when I was in training to become a neurosurgeon, I, I got to see all the, the different parts and pieces. Um, but primarily, we think of, you know, there's brain and there's spine, I think, it's to kind of simplify it. And um, when we talk about treating patients that have issues with their brain, it might be um, you know, a brain tumor or some people have trauma, you know, where they're in a car accident and, and um, have bleeding into their brain or that sort of thing that we deal with. You know, there are some more subspecialized things in neurosurgery where people with movement disorders can have implants placed to help them. And then there are people that have troubles with blood vessels in their brains, whether it be an aneurysm or, or something like that, um, that we can treat as well. The other side is spine which, you know, I'm sure as you're aware, there are, you know, spine problems, people with neck pain and low back pain is one of the, the leading cause of, you know, pain throughout the, the United States. And so we, we try to help people that have problems with their spine, whether it be, you know, you've developed what we call degenerative disc disease or arthritis of the spine that leads to stenosis, which is kind of narrowing of some of the tunnels for the nerves. And we can do different surgeries to try to relieve pressure off nerves from that narrowing of the tunnels or disc herniations or, or whatnot. And, and so throughout the years, I've um, kind of done different things. A, a little bit of my career has been um, influenced by um, trying to also support my husband through his career path as well. And so for the most part, I've um, always been what we call kind of a general neurosurgeon where um, I, I've been in a community practice where I was treating patients both with uh, brain and spine problems, you know, maybe not doing the more rare cases that are, are done kind of at our, our bigger referral centers um, throughout the country, but some brain tumors and, and trauma and then, uh, you know, a lot of spine um, here in, in my latest job here in Culpeper, I'm, I'm really at a smaller outreach hospital where um, I still do some cranial work, but for the most part, I'm, I'm treating patients with spine problems. Gotcha. Well, thanks so much for that insight. We're recording this episode of the podcast in March, which is Women's History Month. And so while strides have definitely been made in terms of gender and ethnic diversity in STEM fields, including medicine, more progress can obviously be made. So when you were attending medical school, at the time, UVA had never trained a female neurosurgery resident, and there were no female neurosurgeons on staff. So obviously, times have changed, like we mentioned, but I wonder how the conditions that you experienced during your training shaped how you passed those lessons on to other folks and just your general view on your role as a clinician. It kind of all goes back to you know my parents and, and them really encouraging me to kind of do hard things and, and really take on whatever I wanted. And so even though I didn't have a lot of great female neurosurgery role models, I never really let that bother me or, or stop me from trying. And while there were no female role models, I actually had um, a lot of encouragement from, from men in the field at the time um, who I worked with 
to stay active and, and involved in, in something that I was interested in. And so, um, you know, there were some people who would say to me, oh, well, you know, women don't do neurosurgery or, or something like that. I never really took that to heart or, or let that stop me. And so I don't feel that I was ever, you know, horribly discriminated against in, in any way. Um, I feel like I actually had a, a lot of support from um, the people around me at the time. And, you know, maybe that was me just being lucky with the people that I came in, into contact with. I think uh, sometimes in life, that's how it happens. Uh, you make the best of the circumstances that you're in, but also you're you're given, you know, sometimes people in your life that um, are just the right people you need to encourage you to continue to do something. And then, you know, once I, so when I was in medical school, I um, had mentors who helped me do research projects and other things to, to really um, help along my interest in the field. And, and then when I got to, to residency again, I had a, a wonderful chairman and program director who really helped encourage me to, to do my best. And, um, and, and even the, the residents that I was around, the, you know, the people that we train with, I, I never really felt like people said, oh, you shouldn't be here or you shouldn't be doing that. And, and I think that that it's one way that I'm very, very fortunate to have just been surrounded by great people that, that encouraged me along the way, even though there was a lot of uh, there were a lot of hard times and suffering through residency. Um, but again, just very fortunate um, that I had good people around me to support me. Well, that's great to hear. I want to drill down a little bit more. There was an article in 2019, I'm not sure if you've come across this or not, from the National Library of Medicine that was basically about comparing a couple of different metrics across neurosurgery for males and females. And so there were a couple of metrics that were fairly similar. They were working full-time, days worked weekly, and then gross salary. And, and this article claims that those didn't differ too much between male and female neurosurgeons. However, there was some discrepancy when it came to more personal metrics, such as career fulfillment, likelihood of choosing a career as a neurosurgeon again, likelihood of being married or having children, that sort of thing. So I want to ask you this, this question, and it might be a tricky one. It's a pretty big one. Do you have any comment about that on what it says about the medical field, the education system that brings folks up in the medical field, and then society at large? I think that... Women in general, um, we do have a little bit of a, a tough role because I think that we are really struggling to try to keep all the pieces together, right? I think that, you know, there are so many, you know, almost balls that we're juggling in the air. Like you said, we have our, our career. Um, you know, some of us want to get married and have families and then you've got children and then you're running around trying to take your kids different places and do different activities. And so from my perspective, I think one of the things that's really helped me in life is as far as, you know, defining success, it's I don't define my success the same way that I look at what other people might think as being successful I don't need to have the highest salary or make the most money. And I know that there are, there may be plenty of other neurosurgeons that are making a lot more money than I am or are, you know, spending more time in the hospital um, than I am. But I think that for me, the success is really being able to, it sounds kind of cliche, but, you know, do it all. And as women, I think sometimes we, we take on all these things and, 
and we may be doing a lot of things, but we may not always feel like we're doing all of them well. And, and I think that's the, the hardest struggle is trying to figure out a way to juggle all the pieces and parts and, and, and have fulfillment in, in all different parts of your life. And, and like I said, I think it's really understanding for yourself what is success because there are other women in neurosurgery who may not have the same goals that I have. And, and maybe their goal is to be a, a chairman of a neurosurgery department one day and, and, and maybe they, they don't have any children, but that might not be a goal of theirs. And so I think it's really understanding for, for yourself what, what your goals in life are and, and what success means to you and, and, and where you want to end up. And so for me, it's, I, I really want to make those connections with my patients. And I, I want to ha- go home with the satisfaction that I've gone to work and I've done the best that I can and I've treated patients the best that I can and provided them with the best care and then I also want to go home and spend time with my 10-year-old and my 8-year-old and my 3-year-old. And I want to be there for them when, you know, when they ride their bike for the first time and, and that sort of thing. And so, like you said, I think everybody's trying to define these different things and look at these different metrics. But I don't necessarily know that we can generalize these numbers to everybody. Um, and I think that we have to understand and, and really support everybody to, to reach the goals that they want and that they're striving for. That's what I would want for everybody is to, to have everybody reach their greatest successes and their greatest goals in life, whatever they might be. Yeah, those are great observations. I think the personal definition of success is probably the crux of it there. So thank you so much for hitting on that. Before we let you go, Dr. Kusha, we've got a fun ritual here on the podcast where we like to close each episode by asking a few more lighthearted questions so that our listeners can get some insight into our guests beyond the work that they do. So we recently mixed things up. Instead of asking you our two standard questions, we're going to give you a choice. So we've got a bank of 10 questions here. I'm going to ask you to choose two numbers from 1 to 10, and then I will ask you those corresponding questions. So whenever you're ready, I'll have your numbers. 2 and 10. 2 and 10. Got it. First question, what is your ideal vacation destination and why? Hmm. It's difficult. Uh, I think my ideal destination is a warm, sunny beach. <laughs> um, I think it's a, a, a great place to listen to the waves crash, soak in the sunshine, go for a swim, just sit back, read a book, enjoy, get away from it all. <laughs> Love it. That sounds good to me. All righty. And the final question, if you could spend the day with one person from history, living or otherwise... Who would it be and why? I'd honestly just love to spend time again with my um, my grandma, my dad's mom. Um, she just has a, a, a great immigrant story of coming to America from Slovakia with nothing and um, making it happen. And I don't necessarily know that I always um, appreciated her journey or her story as a kid growing up. And I'd love to just sit down with her again and, and talk to her about everything that she went through and and how she did it all. Um, she was uh, kind of an inspiration to me throughout um, my life as well. So I'd love to have a chance to kind of, as an, as an adult, go back and, and just chat with her again. Well, those are two great answers. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. We want to once again thank our guest, UVA Health neurosurgeon, Dr. Alisa Kusha, for joining us today. 
So Dr. Kusha, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks again for having me.